0: Welcome to Academically Speaking. This podcast is designed to provide our listeners with an opportunity to engage with subjects and topics related to student academic success. How we think and what we do is important to how we become citizens of this country and of the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Academically Speaking. This is Dr. Theodora Regina Berry, Vice Provost and Dean of the College of Undergraduate Studies here at the University of Central Florida. And joining me today is Dr. Harrison Unge. Dr. Unge joined UCF in 2016 as an Assistant Dean for Academic Planning in the College of Undergraduate Studies. He oversees Pegasus Path academic degree planning tool uh, and that project, as well as curriculum alignment and articulation agreements. Uh, He also oversees all of our efforts connected to dual enrollment for high school students taking courses here at UCF. Before joining UCF, Dr. Unge worked for three years at West Virginia University. As a project specialist in undergraduate academic affairs and an adjunct professor in WBU's College of Education and Human Services, teaching undergraduate and graduate level courses. Dr. Unge holds a BA in education from Kenyatta University in Kenya, a Master of Arts in special education from West Virginia University and a Doctorate in Education in Curriculum and Instruction, also from West Virginia University. Welcome, Dr. Unge. Thank you, Dr. Berry. I'm I'm excited to be here. Dr. Unge, it's been a pleasure to work with you for over the last three and a half years here in the College of Undergraduate Studies and to help our audience get to know just a little bit about you. Tell us about your background, where you earned your degrees, and the and specifically tell us a little bit more about your Bachelor of Education degree from Kenya University in Kenya, and how your college experience there is different from how you perceive the college experience here in the United States.
1: Uh, thank you, Dr. Berry, for that um, uh, question. Um, I began my journey at Kenyatta University in 1991. Um, The Kenyan system, uh, let me just backtrack a little Mm -hmm. bit. The Kenyan system is designed that we have 844. We spend uh, eight years in primary, which which is uh, primary school, Mm -hmm. and also four years in high school, and Mm -hmm. then four years uh, in the university. That is the design Mm -hmm. on the book. in this curriculum, after we, after I graduated from my local primary school, that is Monga, uh, in uh, 1986, I went to uh, secondary school Matonga, and just a close by within the village, a walking distance, maybe about 12 miles. I remember walking there, uh, we, you know, with my box full of stuff, and I was excited to go to away from home for the first time. It's a boarding school. We went there. It's boys only, learned by the Lutheran School, so I was excited about that. Um, And stayed there for four years um, to get my high school experience. Mm -hmm. Of course, we had breaks. We could go home uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, After which, we did uh, a Kenya, a secondary certificate of education examination, which determines what you become, mm-hmm. uh, so you know how you perform in those exams, is is whether it determines whether you become a doctor, whether you become an engineer, whether you become anything that you know uh, life has for you. So after I completed that, I was um, fortunate to be admitted to Kenyatta University. Uh, at the t- at the time, it was one of the four. Uh, national public universities in Kenya. I was admitted there for education arts. So, Mm -hmm. I you know, I had selected education, nobody told me what to do, it just, they said, you know, you have a, we had five options, you choose uh, several majors. Mm -hmm. Um, One of them was education, so I was lucky to be uh, selected to education. And um, when I got to I remember vividly my first day in college. We went there, there was a ghost law, like a strike. Mm. <laughs> uh, the lecturers were striking uh, on that particular day. So our orientation basically was you come in, you sign, you register, you're assigned a dorm, mm-hmm. place where to live. Um, but that that on that particular day when I came, um, you know there was a ghost law. And I didn't get to register on that particular day, so I went back uh, to where I was staying in uh, in Nairobi. Uh, the following day, I went back now by myself. The previous day, I'd gone with my uncle. Uh, the following day, I went with my, just by myself with my mm-hmm. bag and some few belongings, and signed up for um, for for my coursework. Uh, there was no orientation. Uh, All we were given is that, you know, uh, this is where, this is the map for the college, Mm -hmm. this is where you find particular offices, this is where you go to get your room assignment, and the key to your room, and so on and so forth. So uh, that was a shock to me at that particular time, and I just reflect on that because, you know, orientation is such an important thing mm-hmm. uh, in a student's journey, uh, that I, I was thrust into college, in the, in the university, and then um, no orientation, I was not mm-hmm. even given guidance on what to be doing, just being told this is where the dorm is, this is where the mm-hmm. dining hall is, and, and then I started like that, and of course, there were several of us who didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. So we were asking each other around. We spent several days getting lost from building to building, mm-hmm. even getting to the um, the College of Education where we went and uh, the administrative assistant said, hey, you, you are in um, Bachelor of Education Arts. This is the coursework for this uh, particular semester. All you have to do is to go to that wall and sign up your name and your ID. Um, and you should have been registered for that class. So that's how the process occurred for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I I look at it as being so different from uh, what it is right now, especially here at UCF, where I see uh, students being hand held and guided on not only uh, not only on coursework, but they get a lot of support, even mm-hmm. counseling and psychological services, which is essential. So that experience to me was uh, 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 quite a little, what I can say was a little bit different from what it is uh, right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, After I graduated from um, Kenyatta University in 1996, I was fortunate to uh, get appointed as a secondary education teacher at uh, a rural school in Kisi called Nyabigena Secondary School. So in uh, 1997, uh, January, I went to that school and I was assigned to teach uh, Kiswahili and uh, geography. I taught there for eight years. Mm. It was a wonderful experience. Um, and uh, towards, uh, on my seventh year at New beginner, I happened to meet a friend who was uh, at the time studying at uh, West Virginia University and, you know, we met in a church function, and during that, you know, the, <clears throat> the brevity of, uh, you know, after the church service, uh, mm-hmm. everybody was wanted to say hi because he had come from the uh, from America, and well, I went and said hi to him as well, and he, because he knew me, he asked, what are your goals? Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I teach in high school, I'm, I'm comfortable, I have a wife, two kids, um, he said, you know, what are your, what are your goals? Do you want to go back to college? I told him, yes, I've always wanted to go back to college, but I don't know um, whether uh, I can get permissions from uh, TSE, the mm-hmm. Teacher Service Commission, to do So he said, you know, I've, I've seen people do it. Uh, you can do it. I, and he gave me this information and he said, uh, <clears throat> I want you to come to my place uh, so that I, we can talk more about this. So I went back. I forgot about it. Um, A few days later, I got a phone call. Uh, By that time, of course, there were cell phones. Uh, (laughs) I got a phone call from him. He said, um, Harrison, um, you didn't come to see me as we agreed. I I told him, you know, I I know you're a busy man. I I didn't want to come and bother. He said, no, I want you to come. Come and see me. So I went to, uh, I made arrangements and went to his house in a different town. So it was a day trip Uh, uh, and when I got there, he said, you know, I'm in this university and I would want somebody from my village to join me here. So here are the forms. I want you to fill them out today before you go and I can take them and, uh, uh, you know, submit the application. So I completed those forms, um, gave him all the information he wanted Uh, And then he proceeded to go and submit the application at uh, West Virginia University. So I I chose uh, special education because I was interested uh, in that field at that particular time. Um, That's how I got to West Virginia University and got to my graduate school. I I earned my MA in special education in 2018. uh, no, twenty seventeen, December of twenty seventeen. After earning that uh, that degree, my uh, my supervisor at the time, my graduate supervisor at the time, said, you know, posted the same question. What are your goals? Uh, because my family was back in Kenya, I wanted to go back. Um, that that had been my goal. Mm. He said, um, he is, does your journey end here? And and I said, well, these these need to know more uh, and. So she talked to me about the different options and we settled in curriculum and instruction. So I applied for that program and was accepted. I earned my uh, doctorate in education in curriculum and in instruction from West Virginia University in uh, 2013. So that has, that's how my journey has been, from the village uh, in Kesey uh, and then to, west, to the hills of, of, of the West Virginia.
0: It's a fascinating journey and it really speaks to the importance of two things that you talked about. The first of which is what it means for students to experience orientation and the importance of being oriented to the college experience and all of the resources that we now have available to students that neither you nor I had the opportunity to have when we started college Because like you, when I showed up on the college campus, it was move into the dorm, stand in line and sign up for your classes, hope that you've signed up for the right ones because you don't know because no one has talked to you about what classes you should sign up for. You just know, okay, this is my major and these are the classes that are available and I guess these are the ones I should sign up for. And then when I was in school, By the time you got to the front of the line, you had to hope that spaces were still available in those classes, right? Um, Because if not, then you had to start over again. Right. And it it could be very frustrating, and there was really no way to sort of figure out how do you navigate that. Um, But the other thing that you talked about that we also offer to our students here now that is important in relationship to your journey and was important in my journey was mentorship. Yes, Someone who was able to help you think beyond your current circumstance about all the possibilities that are in front of you and how you can achieve those possibilities, right? And without having that person to have that conversation with you and to insist, right? Having that encouragement, to sit down, fill in your application, and submit it to me right now, (laughs) right? Yes. Um, And having, having that kind of encouragement makes all the difference in the world. And many of our students today have access to that kind of mentorship and support and service. And some of them take advantage of it quite well. Others of them are a little slow to do it and others of them completely ignored for a variety of different reasons. Um, And so as we continue our conversation, I want us to revisit the significance of the orientation experience and mentorship uh, for college students. Um, But first I wanna talk to you a little bit about your research. Tell me about the kinds of things that you've researched in the past and the things that you're interested in researching now.
1: While pursuing my uh, doctorate in education um, at West Virginia University, I had the opportunity to uh, to to adjunct uh, as a graduate teaching assistant uh, and later as an adjunct uh, uh, professor uh, within that college. Uh, we uh, within their five-year teacher education program, mm-hmm. uh, and during that time, I had experience. Uh, you know, I had close interactions with. Uh, uh, prospective uh, teachers uh, or pre-service teachers mm-hmm. and, and and I developed passion for action research and while I was at West Virginia University my focus was primarily around the kinds of questions or the kinds of inquiries that pre-service teachers do when they are learning to become mm-hmm. right and, and therefore you know, learning kind of the tools of the trade, uh, as well as preparing themselves to, to, to go into the field as, uh, uh, as teachers when they graduate. So I was exploring uh, the types of questions that pre-service, uh, pre-service teachers ask during uh, their action research projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, foc- I primarily focused on that, um, and later, um, when I transitioned to UCF, my interest uh, shifted a little bit towards transfer student success. And the, that, that, ask, that pivot towards student success and access was actually my focus during, um, uh, for my dissertation. I did my dissertation uh, that focused on uh, access uh, success and progression of uh, marginalized students in mm-hmm. in Kenya, uh, and, and therefore I had now the opportunity kind of to revisit the same issue on uh, student success, but now in the higher education field, not in the K twelve, but in higher education, uh, and now with the focus on uh, transfer uh, student success. Currently. Um, Currently, I'm exploring uh, faculty perspectives on uh, curriculum alignment, and as that relates to transfer student Mm -hmm. success. We have these, you know, we we have the idea when you mentioned curriculum alignment, one of the things that comes to people's mind is that, you know, what about my academic freedom, Mm -hmm. right? What about my, you know, my individuality in teaching? Mm-hmm. and my resourcefulness in teaching, mm-hmm. but again, it, it's about how can you make curriculum be accessible to all students, mm-hmm. and in, in this case, uh, to transfer students. Um, so I'm kind of looking at uh, exploring that, uh, the faculty perspectives uh, on um, mm-hmm. curriculum alignment on course coordination mm-hmm. um, and such kinds of things.
0: And and I think that's an important uh, question to ask, because, you know, first of all, both both of us have backgrounds in curriculum, and and I'm more sort of a theoretical person when it comes to curriculum, as opposed to someone who deals with development and design and implementation. Um, But the question, the baseline question is still always the same, what do students need to know, right? And... What's important about that is in relationship to your work, we're really sort of examining, understanding what the key student learning outcome is in any given course, but recognizing, going back to the questions related to academic freedom, that every faculty member is going to get to that student learning outcome in a slightly different way that's gonna allow them to be able to express um, their individuality and relationship to um, how information or knowledge is acquired. Right. And so my research really deals with notions connected to um, knowledge acquisition right. and knowledge construction and knowledge production. Right. And so when we think about how faculty members want to be able to maintain academic freedom, but want all of our students to reach the same student learning outcomes, it's almost like um, the variety of different roads you can take to get to a destination. That is true. Right? Um, And engaging in that work is so important because all of our students, particularly our transfer students, come to us with a variety of different experiences in relationship to the teaching and learning. And they also come to us with a variety of different of life experiences and how they value um, what's important to learn and how they access that information. But we want to be able to help them to scaffold that information from what they know to what they need to know in a way that's meaningful to them. Yes. Right. Um, And so the work that you're doing is very important in having those very meaningful conversations with faculty um, across the state now that we have agreements with institutions across the state around what it means to align curriculum so that student learning outcomes are the same, so that students do well in subsequent courses, but still allow for that academic freedom that faculty are entitled to have. Right, right. and, and I, I like
1: the point you've put a close about um, that different roads, but the same outcome. So the same with learning outcomes. You know, mm-hmm. Learning outcomes are really key, uh, but faculty have leeway mm-hmm. on presenting content and materials or learning experiences to students in ways that they can achieve their those the same learning outcomes. Mm-hmm. So it can be one course, several sections. Right. But if the students are exposed to the same learning outcomes, right, mm-hmm. uh, it prepares it, it. It levels one. It levels the field, and two, it prepares them for success for what is next. And that is really important in this work. That. Uh, the courses for which we are focusing on in curriculum alignment are gateway courses uh, that students really need to uh, master the essential skills they need for success. So uh, that's why we we have to engage not only with our partner institutions, but uh, willing um, uh, institutions across uh, Florida.
0: And the thing that's really significant about that is understanding that there there are notions of equity and equality built into this notion of curriculum alignment, right? Because the equality is about making sure that every student gets to the same learning outcome, that mastery. Mm -hmm. But the equity is acknowledging that students are different, that faculty are different, and that difference doesn't mean that students still can't get to the same student learning outcome. Mm -hmm. And and in our work, we also
1: acknowledge the the fact that um, curriculum is influenced by different, you know, different. Let me say uh, uh, layers. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the at the core of uh, any given curriculum, uh, the faculty individuality will affect the kind of curriculum they choose. Absolutely. Uh, you know. The discipline, the disciplinary knowledge that is required, mm-hmm. will affect. But outside that, outside of that, there are kind of institutional level factors mm-hmm. um, that would include what are the missions of a given institution. Uh, we have accreditation, uh, accrediting agencies. We have um, we have professional bodies which also contribute. That there, we have
0: these layers and uh, t- and they influence how what get, what happens in the classroom yes. right yes absolutely yes. so and and even as we think about all of those external influences that impact on the way in which knowledge is disseminated and mm-hmm. knowledge is acquired and so forth and so on um, we also have to take in consideration that at the end of the day These students leave those classrooms and have to be prepared to go to the next class with the knowledge and skills that will help them to become successful. That
1: that is true.
0: All right. So as Assistant Dean for Academic Planning, you focus on providing students with pathways to succeeding at UCF. Um, Can you share why planning your time at UCF is so critical um, even before you get to UCF? That is, that's
1: really an important question because uh, if students don't plan, uh, they're likely to miss out on several opportunities available mm-hmm. to them at uh, UCF. Uh, for any given major, uh, and I would say, I, I'd pivot to, uh, to, to an example of my daughter. When she was graduating from high school, you know one of the things that i asked her was what are your goals what do you want to become mm. right i do you, i hear
0: what, some similarities right, right? what do
1: you, what do you want to become and so then what is what is the likely major that can help you move towards achieving that goal the other question was what experiences do you need to prepare you to uh, for what you want to become? And, and I think that is really important. If the students can ask themselves uh, those questions prior to coming to UCF, mm-hmm. it will be easier now to choose the right major.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And after choosing the right major, even taking the right coursework, that is not, impo- that is not enough. They need mm-hmm. to plan ahead so that they can take advantage Right from the get-go, of various opportunities available, whether it's undergraduate research, whether it's uh, service learning, study abroad, even within uh, uh, what I what the College of Undergraduate Studies has, as as a, as a, as, a, as kind of pioneered, study away, you know, taking advantage of experiences that would help them uh, to be ready for what is next. It's, that is really important. Uh, if they don't plan, on the, that is the flip side, if they don't plan, um, they, they'll arrive to UCF, they'll be told, you know, take this coursework. Um, but along the way, they will miss out on these engagements. And when they, uh, during their senior year, when they realize that, hey, now you need to plan, up, you start career planning and all that. Uh, That's when they realize that, oh, I needed these experiences and then it's too late. So planning is important so that they not only uh, take the right coursework, but uh, also the right experiences that they need uh, for what is next. Whether it's uh, uh, a professional school that they want to go to professional school or whether they want to uh, move right into a career or or even to graduate school that Mm -hmm. they need to do these things ahead of time.
0: And I think that's really important um, to, for students to understand that academic planning isn't just about the coursework. Right. And this takes us back to something we spoke about earlier, the significance of orientation, Yes. right? And understanding that the orientation experience isn't just about sitting down with the advisor and planning the coursework. It's about opportunities to be exposed to all of the things that the campus has to offer that will enrich and enhance that academic experience and prepare students for the next step. Um, It's interesting because uh, I was sharing with Dr. Gilbrook in in, in a podcast I did with him that I have rather eclectic taste in my television viewing. Um, (laughs) And so while I am a huge Star Trek fan, I'm also someone who watches um, a variety of different other kinds of programming for different reasons. And so there's a program that I binged watched one weekend um, called uh, Sweet Magnolias, about these three women sort of journeying through life. And one of them has a high school senior in the household. and. For years, first three years of his high school life, he focused only on baseball. Mm -hmm. And he was going to go to college on a baseball scholarship, get into a D1 school, and never once talked about what he wanted to study, what kinds of experiences he wanted in college. It was always about baseball. And as he was about to end his junior year, he gets injured. Mm -hmm. And so he has no plan B. And no one's having the conversation with him about what are your goals? What do you see? Where do you see yourself? Because all he ever focused on was baseball. baseball, And so he didn't know what to do. And now, you know, for a number of weeks, he's wearing a cast on his arm and he's a pitcher. So that's a huge problem, right? And his pitching arm is injured in a car accident. And so. And, and he's in this car accident because he's made some other choices that was not so great, right? Um, and in the meanwhile, you know, he, he comes out of the cast, he's in physical therapy, and he's pondering now what his life should be. Mm. And at one point, he gets so frustrated with his father, who always pushed him into baseball, that he makes the declaration that I don't want to play baseball anymore. But now he really doesn't know what to do. And he walks into his senior year thinking I don't know that I even want to go to college. Because he hadn't had time to sort of have a conversation about who he is as a person and what his goals are. And We have a lot of college students on this campus or many college campuses across the country who aren't having the conversation with a mentor or a parent or someone about who they are as individuals and what their goals are, right? And so this notion of academic planning on a campus like UCF is significant because sometimes it is the first time that someone is asking them, what are your goals? What do you want to do? That is true. I, and
1: and I, think, uh, and I think we've made available uh, various resources, particularly from uh, the College of Undergraduate Studies, we've uh, made available some planning tools to enable students map out their, help them, you know, kind of figure out uh, in entirety what that experience would, might look like so that they can make informed decisions. uh, Something which you and I, like you said, we never had
0: uh, when we went to college. So um, as we think about this notion of students being prepared for college, um, we also have a, a degree mapping program for transfer students. Yes. Some of whom started at a state college somewhere in the state thinking, I know what I want to do, I know where I want to go, this is my plan, and somewhere along the way, they take a course, and you and I have talked to these yes. students, where they suddenly realize, if I'm not doing so well in this course, I don't know that my plan is going to work,
1: yeah.
0: right? And so, for instance, I, I'll use myself as an example. Um I uh, started out with a major in music the a voice major mm-hmm. and Dr. Nguese had the privilege of standing next to me, listening to me sing. <laughs> just once. <laughs> just once. And he still talks to people about it today. <laughs> and I'm just like, stop telling people about that. <laughs> That's twice. <yeah. laughs> um, and I was very new to the university yes. at that point. Um, But somewhere along the way, as much as I loved what I was doing with music, I thought to myself, how am I going to eat in 10 years? (laughs) And and that was really my father's voice in my head Mm -hmm. because he was a very practical man who served in the military, whose parents immigrated to the United States. And so all of the practical things meant something to him in relationship to how do you survive in a new space with a new culture and make sure that you have what you need, right? And that was part of his journey and his story. And so at some point I'm realizing while this is all great and I'm singing in a variety of different venues and I get my first musician's union card, Mm -hmm. so... Now I have access to more opportunities and so forth and so on. I also realized that it's a lot of work just to get a job, to make some money singing somewhere, and then you get paid that one time and it's done. <laughs> um, and so at some point I realized I need some, something else right. that I can do that will help me sort of move along mm-hmm. in life. So initially, my answer to the question was oh, well, get a concentration in conducting, right? Because then mm-hmm. you can do some things with choirs and orchestras and so forth and so on. But then I had an internship um, working with a local symphony orchestra, and I'm basically handing out sheet music. Right? <laughs> And I was like, this is not going to work. If I have to start here, I'm going to be in real trouble. Um, And then I picked up a second major, and then I picked up um, a minor and another minor and thought, oh, I'll get into sound engineering and do music for television programs and music and movies and those kinds of things. Um, And I transferred from one institution to another in the midst of all of that helping and and i had to be able to articulate to my advisor and to my faculty advisor what i was hoping to be able to do at this institution with all these things in my head right and as a 19 20 year old college student trying to articulate what i thought would work Talking to someone who had been in the field and the business for at least a couple of decades, right, I'm sure I did not sound very coherent to that person, right? I can bet. Right? (laughs) And at some point, I had to sort of figure out how to make this transfer experience work, Mm -hmm. And to make sure that, one, all the credits I had taken would transfer from one institution to the other, that they would make sense. We didn't have systems then that we have now that make that a little bit easier to do, right? And then, how do I take what I perceive to be my goal and fit it into this new institution versus what the previous institution offered? So when we think about success pathways for our Transfer students, students, right? What's the significance of success pathways in relationship to the orientation experience, right? And what advice do you have for our transfer students um, as they prepare to do their academic planning and transfer into UCF?
1: Well, I'll begin by really explaining what success pathways are. It's a a resource that we've built uh, in concert with uh, all the programs here at UCF and uh, with our state college partners and other colleges that we're expanding out to. Uh, And in each of the pathway, uh, we've explicitly indicated the admission requirements of any given major at UCF that if if you are transferring from whichever institution you want to go into accounting, that at least have these uh, GPA. And also we've included the the common program prerequisites, uh, critical courses and lower level courses that they need to Mm -hmm. complete as they earn their AA. Uh, Because at the state level, uh, you know, all they need to do is just earn an AA um, and, and they can transition to the university. Why the, uh, why the success pathways are important is that for a student, for a prospective student who wants to come to UCF, if you follow the coursework, if you complete uh, the lower level requirements on the common program prerequisites, Uh, that you need uh, for your anticipated major at UCF, when you come to UCF, you'll be major ready. Um, Major ready in that you'll be admitted into the major, you'll also have access to upper level courses that you need for that particular uh, major. And now with respect to, sorry, with respect to orientation, why this is important is that um, if you just come in with uh, sixty hours and an AA, and uh, all that UCF will acknowledge is that you've completed the GEP requirements. Mm-hmm. But for that particular major that you need, you know that the you know the uh, the advisors will have to evaluate and see you know, what else do you need for the particular major, especially if you did not take the right coursework for that particular major and therefore it's important for uh, the transfer students to follow uh, the suggestions we made within uh, the success pathways. When you transition to UCF, then uh, they can be major ready and have access to the upper level courses that they require. ensures that they have academic momentum mm-hmm. in terms of the coursework that they are taking, especially those who tend to be full-time, mm-hmm. that you will have access to the right courses, you maintain that academic momentum, graduate on time and go and save, you'll save a lot of dollars. Um, and, and that is always a good thing.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And, and it's significantly important because What we're really talking about here is ensuring that students have the foundational knowledge built into the curriculum from the state college that they can transition into UCF. Um, And we want to ensure that students have that knowledge and are prepared to move forward so that they can be successful, whether they're part-time or full-time. Right. Um, So let's talk about... Um, some of our students who come into us through Dual and Moment. So, Dual and Moment is one of the programs that are in your portfolio. Um, can you talk to us about what Dual and Moment is and how it benefits students?
1: Yes, dual enrollment is one of the acceleration mechanism available to high school students. Um, other mechanisms include uh, taking. AP credits, uh, IB, um, that sort of thing, and there is also dual enrollment. The good thing with dual enrollment is that uh, the high uh, high school students were highly qualified, um, were highly qualified, and were at least above. uh, That is, they've they've completed the grade of five, fifth grade. Mm-hmm. So anybody who has completed the, the sixth grade, you can imagine those are very young, uh, but anybody who has completed sixth grade, but is highly qualified uh, and can uh, take the college-bearing the, the college uh, courses. Now, the way dual enrollment works is that the student enrolls at, let's um, say, UCF course, a university mm-hmm. course, and... Uh, takes that course, but we enter into agreements with the the district schools, the home education, or even the private uh, high schools to ensure that the credits students earn will also count towards their high school graduation requirements. And therefore, the way dual dual enrollment is working is that the students will earn credits towards a baccalaureate degree or a certificate or a minor, and also credits towards high school graduation requirements. The good thing with dual enrollment is uh, that, especially for students who are in junior um, and senior levels in high school, is that they get a chance to experience college, right, a- in a small way, not in the full balloon, but in a small way so that they can start learning the college culture, the pace, um, at the same time, they get challenged because they are highly performing students. They get ch- challenged uh, to do uh, uh, coursework that is at the college level, and it gives them a leg up. Some students, uh, you know, can, can complete a full AE while right at uh, high school mm-hmm. through dual enrollment. So for those who want to take advantage because it's uh, totally free for all high school students, uh, they don't have to pay tuition, they don't have to pay instructional materials, that's a lot of money that they can save in their pockets, especially for first generation uh, and uh, uh, students from underrepresented groups, that if they can take advantage of dual enrollment, they get <clears throat> they get part of their college work done while they completing the high school, mm-hmm. uh, meeting the high school graduation requirements. When it's well-planned, um, it's that the students now, you know, when when they get to college now, they get to spend a lot of time now doing extra things mm-hmm. uh, that are, are viable. You know, they can engage in research, they can do study abroad or study away, that they have this time because they've already completed most of the coursework they need for a particular major. Um, Uh, The other thing about dual enrollment is that they have support. They still have access to their high school counselor Mm -hmm. who can guide them about high school requirements. They still have access to high school activities. Mm -hmm. But at the college side, they have access to an advisor. Mm -hmm. They have dedicated advisors who work with them and have access to the library and other resources except... Uh, they don't get free tickets for the football game. No, they don't get free <laughs> tickets for
0: the football game. Yeah. So, in other words, when we think about dual moment, these are high school students yes. who can take up to 60 credit semester credit hours and complete an AA degree while they are in high school. Yes. They pay no tuition. They pay no instructional material costs. And they can start college as juniors. Yes. They still can do all the things that they do in high school. They can go to the prom, go to the football games, (laughs) all of those things, right? Mm -hmm. They have a guidance counselor at their high school to support them. And they have an academic advisor at the university that also provides them with academic support. Right. They they
1: also have access to tutoring services, uh, at the that university. Like so a wonderful so they, they they have access to tutoring at the university. If they need extra help again, they can reach out to the, to their high school guidance counselor for additional help as needed. I think, it's really advantageous. Um, uh, but I, but it would be more beneficial, particularly more impactful to first generation students mm-hmm. that you get up. You get to dip your feet in the college while you are in the high school and get to overcome some phobia that you may have um, Mm -hmm. regarding uh, uh, post-secondary education, uh, and that is really important. So uh, for me, I I see it as an access type of uh, mission uh, that the university can accomplish.
0: Excellent. So we're going to shift just a little bit and talk a little bit about curriculum alignment. And since joining UCF, you've made some great strides working with Florida State Colleges across the state as well as the university regarding curriculum alignment. So can you tell us what curriculum alignment is and why it's important?
1: Um, Curriculum alignment in this context uh, is uh, an initiative between UCF and the state colleges to align core content and competencies or or learning outcomes of select gateway courses that are critical or essential for students to to succeed when they are at the university. Uh, These courses are typically offered uh, when students are under their AA and they are the same courses that uh, our students, FTIC students, complete. During the first two years of their um, undergraduate career. Uh, currently, we have uh, we have fifty eight courses uh, that are involved in curriculum alignment. When I came on board in twenty sixteen, we had uh, five disciplines. Uh, now we've expanded to uh, eleven uh, disciplines. Um, <clears throat> And why curriculum alignment is important, as as you had said earlier, it's about the learning outcomes. If students are exposed to to essential learning outcomes, it means that they will be successful, they'll be ready, uh, they have the skills that they need to succeed in the subsequent courses. Think of it in terms of a spiral curriculum where, where concepts are progressive, in terms of complexity so for instance if it's in math that's a concept is introduced in algebra but that skill is also essential for uh, another course let's say in engineering or an upper-level math course that's if the students have mastered that skill when they get a more complex problem uh, if they have the foundational knowledge it becomes easier or, or easier for them to Work those uh, complex uh, problems and concepts, uh, and when we engage in curriculum alignment, our goals is really to ensure that not only the learning outcomes are are the same, it's particularly the essential learning outcomes. Uh, we know that at the state colleges, they have uh, they they teach a diversity of students. There are students who are tracking AA, that is, they want to transfer, and there are those who are tracking uh, A.S. Mm-hmm. They want to go into the career a- and therefore the mission within um, the state colleges is slightly different uh, because they have this other population that they have to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, a- and it so happens that uh, we, when we engage in curriculum alignment, we acknowledge that uh, these are the essential learning outcomes for this given course. But we acknowledge that you have a different variety of students, and therefore you may include additional learning outcomes to meet uh, the, other, uh, the needs of the other student. So we acknowledge that. The other reason why curriculum alignment is important is because for courses, particularly courses that are in a sequence, it's to eliminate uh, gaps and redundancies that if, if we don't talk to each other, if uh, those who are teaching upper-level courses and lower-level courses don't engage in conversations, there's a likelihood maybe that uh, the ones who are teaching an, a lower-level course will say, hey, this is, this is a topic which will be covered in the next course, and therefore they will not cover. And those in the upper-level course will say, hey, this is something typically covered in a lower-level course, and therefore they don't address it. Yet they test those courses or those, uh, no, they test those uh, experiences or outcomes in the assessment, and the students might uh, fail. And therefore, this is more of a, a student success as well issue that it helps to eliminate those redundancies. And the conversations that the faculties have enable them to identify where the gaps are. Mm-hmm. I enable them to see where there's redundancy. They see this is, you don't need to cover that. We cover this mm-hmm. in these course and, and therefore freeze room for faculty to engage more with students. Um, the other reason why we why I think curriculum alignment is important is, uh, is course drift. Uh, that if you've been teaching a course for a long time, it's very easy to drift away from the learning outcomes mm-hmm. that are posted in the syllabus right because of either your preferences or uh, or biases or let's say my preferences or biases and therefore when we engage in those conversations our uh, faculties kind of get recentered back to the essential learning outcomes mm-hmm. and that's important
0: and that is important but it also provides an opportunity to think about how certain ideas and concepts within Disciplines or fields may be changing over time yes. too. Yes, yes, um, and so that's important to consider in relationship to that. You also do some work around articulation agreements. Can you tell us what they are and why they are important?
1: Well, uh, articulation agreements. Um, an articulation agreement is uh, kind of a, uh, an understanding between. Uh, a university and um, or one institution and another institution regarding either program uh, or coursework or experiences that that are transferable or interchangeable within those institutions. And uh, uh, in our in our case, we engage in program to program. Articulation agreements, for instance, uh, for the Honors College, uh, you know, engage with the state colleges to identify that these are the experiences that honors students should be completing while, while they're earning their AA. It's, it's not the coursework, but the additional experiences mm-hmm. so that when they come to UCF, that those, uh, you know, the honors program at UCF will know that the students are prepared in the same manner as our students. Mm-hmm. Um, so we enter those kinds of agreements. We also enter into agreements on, um, about, uh, uh, on coursework that needs to be completed. And therefore, what courses can be, uh, courses with similar learning outcomes at the state level uh, or comparable learning outcomes for those offered at UCF, but they may not be the same course but they cover the same learning outcomes. Mm-hmm. We get the faculty to talk about uh, can we use them as substitutes, mm-hmm. and then they engage in uh, tweaking the curriculum in a way in a manner that will allow the students uh, when they complete those courses at the state level that they can come and be used as substitutes mm-hmm. uh, for our given courses, and and that is really important. The the articulation agreement also helps individual programs to communicate to one another. Mm-hmm. The, the, let's say, uh, environmental studies at UCF engaging with uh, another institution, that they would share information and say, mm-hmm. and update such that any student who wants to come to environmental studies at UCF will would have adequate information and be Mm -hmm. well prepared to be successful. Therefore, uh, I see it is also as a document that allows for that communication. We know that uh, faculty change, uh, uh, the leadership change within Mm -hmm. programs, Uh, if some of the agreements that have been entered uh, or or contrary, let's say that uh, we've said that we'd accept. Let me give you an example that uh, we have... Legal Studies here at UCF mm-hmm. and pala Legal Studies at Valencia, that the chairs at some point uh, a few years ago, about five years ago, were in very close contact and they verbally agreed that yes, I'll accept five courses, the you know the courses completed as in pala Legal Studies at Valencia, mm-hmm. you know when they come to UCF, we'll accept them. Uh, it so happened that chair, you know, moved. On to different and better things, uh, but that information was not codified anywhere. Right, A- and the information being uh, that w- that had been given to students at Valencia disadvantaged them I mean, they came to UCF during orientation. As you said, they would say that I have completed this coursework, but they have uh, their advisors would check and say, "Hey, you've not done this. Uh, this we don't know about this coursework." Mm-hmm. Uh, so that uh, kind of brought about issues where students complained um, up to the president's level, saying that uh, you know my coursework is not being recognised, yet this promise had been met. Right. And um, so entering an agreement helps to codify some of these uh, uh, you know conversations that occur within within programs uh, and between programs.
0: Excellent. All right, so now we are going to enter our speed round version of our conversation. This is an opportunity for our listeners and viewers to get to know you a little bit better on a personal level. Um, And I'm going to ask some very simple questions, and we would like for you to answer with the first thing that comes to top of mind. Okay? Yes. All right. Favorite color.
1: Black, but let me say something.
0: <laughs>
1: when I did my wedding in back, back in 2000, um, you know, I had green. I don't know why I chose green.
0: I don't know why either. It's so? a
1: so green suit, very strange. I have that suit to, to date. Um, I don't have the pants, but I have the coat, uh, the jacket. Um, I don't know why it was green, but my favorite uh, color is black. Okay, excellent. Favorite song? Well, that is a pickle. Um, Don't Stop Believing by the band Jenny.
0: Okay. All right, excellent. Favorite movie?
1: Well, I'm biased here. Uh, I'll go with a movie maybe you don't know. It's called Serafina.
0: I love Serafina.
1: So... By Gooby. It was a musical first. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's okay if you're a little biased.
1: <laughs> Favorite book? Um uh, A Long Walk to Freedom
0: by oh, Nelson Manana. Yeah. Okay. Favorite singer. Favorite singer. Mm-hmm. And you can't say me. <laughs> Ah, that's, why
1: Why can't I say you? Favorite singer, I would say um, Bob Marley. Oh, yes. Bob Marley, I think. Okay. Favorite actor? Denzel
0: Washington for me. Mm, okay. If you could travel anywhere in the world and time and money were no object, where would you like to go?
1: I'd love to be in Cape Town, South Africa.
0: Mm. So, yep. Yeah, it's on my list too. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. I'd love to journey there and just, uh, because I have these, like a bucket list of things, mm-hmm. and Cape Town is one of those places that I want to go, and i also visit, you know, where Mandela was born, mm-hmm. and kind yes. of journey journey through his village, through all the
0: places that he went to. So I'd mm-hmm. love to do that. Okay. If you could have dinner with anyone, living or dead, who would it be and why? Uh, like I said, Mandela.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. I'd love to know, you know, for 27 years, how did you survive, you know, in, the, in Robin Island. <clears throat> Not being able to interact with your family. I'd, I'd love to ask those questions. I'd love to ask how, after you got out, how did you get to forgive all the people who oppressed others? So that was really, you know, uh, what That's it an did. It is an important question.
0: Okay. What was your
1: thought process behind that? hmm Yes.
0: So I will ask one more question, yes. and it is based on a television program that I've watched. I have very eclectic television viewing <laughs> uh, experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a show that is on Max entitled If We're Being Honest with Leburn Cox. hmm and she often, it's a talk show where she engages with up-and-coming artists. Uh, I'm not an artist, so. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Actors, musicians, those kind of artists. And during her interview, she always ends with asking whether or not there was something that she should have asked that she didn't ask. So I am asking you, is there something that I should have asked that I didn't ask that you would like to share with our audience?
1: I think, um, you know, why UCF? Okay, so
0: why UCF?
1: Why UCF, I think. I've come to love UCF because of its diversity and the opportunities that it provides, particularly uh, when I talk of diversity, I think in terms of my children. Uh, mm-hmm. I lived in West Virginia. Um, we never had, uh, in Morgantown, West Virginia, we had little opportunities in terms of uh, activities that the, the children should, can engage in, but I, I got a chance to come to Orlando, several activities not only for children, for adults too, uh, but most importantly within UCF. There's a lot of diversity, uh, people of different types of or walks of life. Uh, and the support that you get from if you are doing a project, the kind of support that you get from different offices, each one uh, being ready to help and chip in. So I thought, I thought that, that's what has kept me going here uh, at UCF.
0: I love it. It can be hot, but I love it. That is a great way to end our conversation. Thank you, Dr. Unge for joining me today, for engaging in a very intriguing and enlightening conversation. And it's my hope that our audience gain some benefit from your wisdom and experiences as a professional um, here at the University of Central Florida. And thanks to our audience for joining us today. This is Academically Speaking, and I am Dr. Theodora Regina Barry. Have a great day.